0: Do babies have a natural instinct to sleep?
1: Getting a better understanding of what my partner needed and what my children really needed, that's made a huge difference.
0: Yes, otherwise I can get a little bit overwhelmed. (laughs) Yeah, I think lots of parents can relate to that. You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt. Going to school can be tough for any child. Now imagine you're heading into school or daycare for the first time and you can't control a part of your body or perhaps what you say. The reality of school life for children with Tourette's syndrome is that other children don't understand why they have certain tics, which often leads to teasing. So, how do we break that cycle or at the very least control the teasing aspect of it? Professor Paminda Sachdev is a neuropsychiatrist and the clinical director of the Neuropsychiatric Institute at the Prince of Wales Hospital in Sydney. It's a bit of a mouthful. Hello, how are you, Ah, uh,
1: Hello, Siobhan.
0: Um, Can you start by explaining for us, what is Tourette syndrome? So
1: Tourette's syndrome is a neurological disorder. So it's a brain disorder. Uh, and the main symptoms that we identified by are what we call tics. Now, tics basically are involuntary movements or vocalizations or noises.
0: Yeah.
1: And usually they'll start around the age of seven or eight years, although we have seen younger children being affected as well. Although, And sometimes they can start later uh, in, the, in your teens or early 20s as well. But typically they start around the age of seven or eight years. And then the symptoms fluctuate. So very often the first sign may be that the child starts blink- blinking, frequently and they cannot control that blinking or they may have facial grimacing or they might jerk their head or shrug their shoulders or make some other such movements and usually what the child will say is that I can't help it and if you ask them in more detail they say that there is this urge that builds up inside that they have to move like the build-up of a sneeze, so to speak, really, that you have to do it. And so the child will say, I have to do it, and I can't stop it, although they may be able to stop it for a short period of time or postpone the movement, but eventually they have to give in. And it's very confusing sometimes because the early symptoms fluctuate. There are times when the symptoms are there, other times the symptoms are not there, or there would be good times and bad times. Uh, and therefore the parents are somewhat confused as to whether the child is doing it deliberately seeking attention or what is wrong, really. And and they might take them to a doctor or physiotherapist or optometrist sometimes because of the blinking. And sometimes they're told that, look, this is a habit, it'll go away. But typically what happens is the symptoms continue. And as the child grows and uh, so it goes into, uh, say, the early uh, teens, often you see an accumulation of symptoms. And when the child has both motor tics and vocal tics, then we say that this is Tourette's syndrome. So, so they need to
0: have both? Yeah, for, for, for both.
1: So part. we generally say they have multiple mo- motor tics or at least one vocal tic to diagnose Tourette syndrome. And some children may have just one or the other. And if they persist for a long period of time, but they're restricted to one or two tics only, we call it a chronic tic disorder. But they're really on a continuum. So really, one may be milder form of the other, really.
0: And the, sorry to interrupt, but a lot of people might associate Tourette's syndrome with swearing or foul language. Where does that come from and is it a is it false perception of yeah. what Tourette's so syndrome is? So let me is?
1: just maybe come back to the nature of the tics, really. So we essentially say that there are motor tics and vocal tics. And the motor tics could be simple, like the ones I described. And sometimes the motor tics can be complex, maybe in the form of jumping or twirling or touching and sometimes even more complex movements as well. And the vocal takes may also be either simple, such as a form of coughing, throat clearing, or barking or squealing kind of sound, or they may be complex. And in that complex vocal take, sometimes you have phrases, utterances, and some of these could be swear words. So it does happen that some children will develop that. Usually, a few years after the first symptoms develop. So, if the first ticks are developing at seven or eight years, it's maybe ten or twelve by the time the child develops the swearing, if it's going to happen. But it happens only in maybe ten to twenty percent of cases of Tourette syndrome, and so in some studies even less than that. So, it's not a necessary symptom for the diagnosis. And the majority, and the vast majority, in fact, of Tourette syndrome patients do not have swearing as one of the symptoms.
0: It does seem, though, the way you describe it particularly if they're involuntary tics, whatever they might be, they're going to be visible, um, they're going to make them stand out. And if a child has this when they go to school, uh, it seems like those are the sorts of things other children might pick on. You helped to establish the Tourette Syndrome Association of Australia in 1989. In your experience, do you find children get bullied because they have Tourette Syndrome?
1: Yes, I think that's quite true, because these tics are intrusive in the social space, So the child is having tics while they're sitting in the classroom, especially if they have vocal tics. So suddenly there'll be the squeal or a bark or something that comes out, and everyone uh, is attracted to that. And the teacher might feel that the child is trying to play up and disrupt the class sometimes if they do not know what the reason is. Otherwise, if a child has uh, movements which are involuntary, often uh, peers might make fun of that, might... uh, Mimic them and it might become a butt of jokes as and well. And even
0: so. if they're not being picked on, it sounds like it'd be so distressing for a child because no one wants to stand out when they first start at yeah. a new school or a daycare or anything like that. What can we do to make those children feel more comfortable?
1: The first answer is in education, really. We find that firstly we have to explain to the child what the symptom's about and then the family has to understand that even though... The symptoms fluctuate and occur in certain settings more so than others. It doesn't mean the child is doing it voluntarily. And then, of course, the next step is if there is there are problems at school that we have to approach the teachers and try to explain to the teachers and make a judgment call as to whether the peers are ready to be told what this is about, really. And usually we consult the child, speak to the child and say, OK, now... Do you think we should explain to the others? And some children are quite okay with that, really. They are happy to actually stand in front of the class and explain to the class what it is about. It's called Tourette Syndrome and what the nature of the problem is. And sometimes we may get a specialist or maybe a volunteer from the Tourette Syndrome Association to go to the school and explain to the other children. Other children say, "No, I don't want to know. I don't want to tell others either. I don't want them to know either. That can be a difficult situation sometimes. But you have to respect the wishes of the child and actually work with the child to develop their confidence in being able to accept the symptom and also have others know about the symptom.
0: You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Professor Paminda Sachdev. He's a Clinical Director of the Neuropsychiatric Institute at the Prince of Wales Hospital in Sydney. And we're talking about Tourette syndrome and how it can Im- impact on children, particularly um, when they're going into a formal setting, whether that's daycare or school. Um, Paminda, when we talk about when they go into that formal setting, typically, as I can see it, and in daycare settings, it's quite relaxed, a lot of children are running around. But once they get into the more formal primary school years, that's when they've been expected to sit down for periods of time, to listen, to be quiet. How does it affect children once they're in their classrooms and their ability to learn?
1: Yeah, so I think there are two, two aspects to that. The first thing is that I mentioned that we identify Tourette syndrome by ticks as the main symptom. And generally, our experience is that primary school children are quite tolerant, really. So they will not mind if another child has tics or either motor or vocal tics. And usually they'll get on with their work. and uh, And disruption is not such a major issue, usually in primary school classes. We find that high school is actually quite different. That's really where much of the teasing and uh, bullying arises. Now, the other aspect that uh, I should say is that children with Tourette syndrome often have other difficulties, other behavioral problems as well. And we think that this may be part and parcel of the total neurological syndrome. Uh, about 50% of them will have some attentional difficulties. And we find that maybe one in three will get a diagnosis of ADHD, or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. A significant proportion also have obsessive compulsive symptoms. In fact, a proportions, it may be a quarter, will get a diagnosis of OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder as well. They may have learning difficulties sometimes, they may have uh, problems with controlling their anger, they may be easily prone to anger, they may have sleep problems. So there are a number of other behavioral issues that we see sometimes in children with Tourette's syndrome. And we think that this is a, a neurological syndrome with, with multiple manifestations. And, in fact, when we intervene, try to help the child, we try to identify the main features, the main behaviours that are most disruptive and try to control them, rather than focus exclusively on the ticks, per se. The other point I want to make is that I think the transition from primary school to high school is often one of the critical uh, issues in many of these children. Many children who continue in the same school or have a group of peers who they're very close to who move with them from primary school to high school generally adapt reasonably well. But if you're going to a totally new school with uh, no support, no familiarity per se, then that can be a real challenge. And there, of course, I think uh, working with the teachers is very important to see that the child adapts to the new place.
0: You just mentioned that if a child has Tourette syndrome, it's likely that they'll have other things going on as well. Some of the things you mentioned were ADHD and obsessive compulsive disorder. I know with ADHD, there's definitely um, strategies that you can put in place to help children. And if that's not working, there's medication. I know you were just saying then you don't just treat the tics. But if you're looking at the whole, is there a way of reducing those symptoms for a child who has Tourette syndrome if you're dealing with the other neurological manifestations you see?
1: Yeah, yeah, so I think we what we do is we try to identify the most disruptive behaviours, and we say, okay, now, is it attentional difficulties that are most problematic for the child, uh, and we will put into place strategies to control attentional problems. If we think that ticks are very troublesome, and sometimes ticks, I think about 10% of patients with Tourette's have very severe ticks, which can be disruptive. And there are a few, maybe less than 5%, who may actually have self injurious ticks. They may hit themselves, and sometimes uh, that can be very troublesome. Uh, so there are situations where we think we need to control the ticks. And uh, we, uh, there are two strategies to control the ticks one is that we can use medicines and medicines work in about 50 to 70% cases in reducing the severity of the tics. We do not have a cure for Tourette's. It will take its course when we think that any intervention we make does not alter the course of the disease, but it can reduce the severity of the symptoms, and sometimes that's a great relief for the child, that they do not have to exert themselves all the time to control their tics, really, which can be very distracting and exhausting for the child. Uh, So, we can use medicines, and there are some behavioral techniques that we can also put into place to try to reduce the impact of the tics, to try to control more disruptive tics. For example, there are, sometimes we can substitute maybe a severe vocal tic with a physical tic, like a, a hand a clasp or a grasp, or we can use rubber bands sometimes as kind of distracting material. Or there are other strategies we can use to reduce the impact of tics. And generally one would have to work with a clinical psychologist uh, in what is called a comprehensive behavioural intervention for tics, which can reduce the severity of the tics.
0: So if someone listening thinks that their child might have something like Tourette syndrome, who exactly do you go to see? Because not all psychologists will be familiar with Tourette syndrome. Or, I mean, is your first stop your GP and then they refer yeah. you on?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think uh, the first step would be consultation with the GP that you have. You suspect that this may be the case. I must say that not all GPs are familiar with Tourette's, and there are situations where they say, Oh, they'll dismiss it as a habit and okay, it'll go away. But if that's not satisfactory, the GP, uh, then you say, Okay, ask for a referral to a specialist. And usually the child will be referred to either a pediatrician or a child psychiatrist, and either of those specialists would be able to uh, diagnose Tourette's. And I think getting a diagnosis is a good first step. And then, of course, one has to say, OK, uh, is, it, is that enough? Or does the child need some help? Because sometimes uh, the symptoms are very mild. Because we've seen cases, say, where you, we brought, we're brought asked to see a child and uh, we try to get a family history and they say, oh, there's no family history. But you can see corner of your eye that the mother has a blink, which she's always had all her life, And the father uh, makes coughing noises and, you know, this is just a habit. We know that they also have ticks, but they've never been diagnosed in their lives and they've had them to a mild degree all along. So there are many situations where the symptoms are mild, fortunately, and you may not need to do anything except be aware of it. Whereas other situations where the symptoms are troublesome and something needs to be done.
0: You've explained that there's a broad spectrum of Tourette's syndromes, very mild, as you just mentioned, more severe, which can be very hard for the child who's experiencing it. We seem to have come a long way when it comes to something like, for example, mental health. We seem to be understanding much more about the neurological differences children can have, such as autism. Do you feel like we've are coming? we come that far with Tourette's syndrome? You've, you've been... Um, part of the association since 1989. That's almost 30 years. Are we keeping up in our understanding and our acceptance of Tourette's syndrome?
1: Yeah, I think the first point, of course, is trying to understand the biology behind it. So uh, there have been many investigations into understanding the biology of Tourette's syndrome. We do recognise that it's a genetic disorder. We see many families with multiple affected members. But there are many situations where we have one family member and no one else is affected as well. So it can occur suddenly out of the blue. And that is often true of disorders where there are many genes involved, really, rather than one single gene. And we think that's the case with Tourette's most likely, that there are many genes involved. At this point, we haven't identified any particular genes that are specific for Tourette's. In fact, whatever discoveries have been made in terms of, in some families, in terms of linking Tourette's to a particular gene haven't been replicated in other studies. So it's uh, there's a, not a commonality at this point. Um, so we do not really understand the, the mechanisms by, in the brain development by which Tourette's occurs. We do know that there are certain brain regions that are most likely to be affected. But at this point, we do not have a test that can identify us, either a brain scan or some blood test or something like that. At this point, we do not have that. And the treatments we have for ticks are not specific for ticks again. These are treatments that were developed for other disorders and they were found to also be good for ticks, really. So I think uh, there is a lot more that needs to be done, really. Even in spite of the fact that we've now been working on this for several decades, uh, the progress has not been up to expectation.
0: And do you think people accept it more or is there still a lot of misunderstanding about those that have Tourette's syndrome?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think that it's a much better known disorder now. See, in fact, in the 1960s, people thought it was a very rare disorder. And in fact, when I was in medical school, late 70s, early 80s, we were not taught Tourette's in medical school. And it's only more recently that medical students are being taught about Tourette's. And we now know that it's quite common. In fact, more recent studies show that maybe 1 in 200 to 1 in 100, as high as 1% of children, Especially boys, because you know it's more common in boys than girls, uh, or at least one person of boys uh, will be affected. So it's a common disorder. and I think increasingly there there is media coverage of Tourettes, so there are movies there are uh, shows such as your radio radio program that actually publicized rats. so it's much better known but still I think uh, humans being humans really and especially when it comes to children still there will be teasing and imperfection is not that well tolerated by our society so certainly that needs more education all the time and uh, we need to keep working on it.
0: Well hopefully this conversation will help some parents talk to their kids about it. Perminda, thank you so much for your time today. It's a pleasure. That was Professor Paminda Sachdev. He's a neuropsychiatrist and chief medical advisor to the Tourette Syndrome Association of Australia. You've been listening to Kindling Conversation. If you enjoyed it, there's plenty more where that came from. Find other stories and interviews at our website.
1: Just head to kindling.com.au.